The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Falato's Fantasy Corner. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in draft season. That's right, draft season. A lot of home leagues around the world are starting to draft they usually do it around the third week of the preseason which is obviously not happening this season but this is the early stages of the fantasy drafts and they're all commencing everywhere i for one don't typically draft until around labor day i want all the information i can get injuries and all those things that are kind of happening which we've seen kind of materialize just through the first week of padded practices there have been quite a few injuries some impact fantasy some just impact the overall effectiveness of some of these nfl teams but in this episode i want to get some rankings out to all of you on some of the better players to target own and win your championships this season based on their schedules past performances how they were utilized last year and how they're going to be employed in their new current situation so without further ado let's jump right into running backs and then we'll transition to tight ends later in the show but before we go into christian mccaffrey i want to talk quickly about schedules now there's usually a lot of turnover with schedules but i want to talk about the importance of knowing someone's schedule because it can lead to more fantasy points for your players if they're going to be in more high scoring games and how are these schedules comprised so say you're in the nfc east and say you're the eagles came in first in the division last year so you play one nfc division you play one AFC division, and then you play your division twice. Now, that is for everybody in the NFC. So how the Eagles would determine those other two remaining games is they would play the best team in the two NFC divisions that they are not playing against. So for the NFC East this year, they're playing the NFC West and the AFC North. So the Eagles are going to play the number one team from last year in the NFC South and the NFC North because they're in the same conference, and that's the position that those teams finished in in the prior season. So the NFC East this season playing the NFC West and the AFC North. The NFC West is playing the NFC East and the AFC East. The NFC North is playing the NFC South and the AFC South, and the NFC South is playing the NFC North and the AFC West. Now for the AFC, the AFC East is playing the AFC West and the NFC West. The AFC West is playing the AFC East and the NFC South. The AFC North is playing the AFC South and the NFC East. And the AFC South is playing the AFC North and the NFC North. So when I look over this real quick, the first thing that catches my eye is the NFC South and the AFC West. 
because especially the AFC West, those are two high powered that are probably going to have a lot of high scoring teams. There's some good defenses. I could see some of those games being blowouts, especially when you see the Saints play the Kansas City Chiefs, when you see Tampa Bay play the Kansas City Chiefs, when the Raiders get mixed into that. And then I also look at the AFC West and they get to play the AFC East. So that means they get to beat up on the Jets and the Dolphins. The Bills are a very good team. And then they get to play the Patriots, who are sort of a wild card right now. So I just wanted to lay out those schedules before I go over all of these fantasy options so you guys are aware. And again, the, <laughs> the Giants in the NFC East are playing the NFC West and the AFC North, which the AFC North has a lot, a lot, a lot of good defenses. You get the Steelers, you have the Ravens, you have the Browns, who are a little bit of a question mark. And then you obviously have the Bengals, who were a doormat last year, but they're probably going to improve this season. So let's go on to Christian McCaffrey. There is no better fantasy option this season than Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is an absolute beast. He was the only player last year to have over 400 touches. He had 403 touches. I expect that to come down. I don't expect the same exact type of immense workload. I mean, he has a whole nother system coming in, but he's still going to get so many dump offs with Teddy Bridgewater as his quarterback. He's still going to be the primary first, second, and third down running back. He was absolutely insane last year. He averaged 4.9 yards per carry, and he was just an absolute beast. 135 targets, 116 receptions as a running back. He's utilized effectively within the red zone. He had 20 carries inside the five-yard line. He converted nine of them into touchdowns. Now, that's what I'm talking about. These are the stats you got to look for. How are they utilized in the red zone? And of course, you don't have Ron Rivera anymore, but I expect Matt Rule to still lean heavily on his absolute stud. McCaffrey had just under 1,400 yards rushing. He had 15 touchdowns rushing, and he was also utilized in the passing game as well with four touchdowns as a receiver, three of them coming from red zone targets. So Christian McCaffrey to me is the safest fantasy option. He's more than likely going to, I wouldn't say more than likely, but he's highly it's probable that he can repeat as the top running back, which is something that doesn't happen all that often. Usually, if you're the top running back one year, it's kind of hard to repeat being the top fantasy running back the next year. But I would put Christian McCaffrey at maybe a 50-50 odds to possibly do that because of his utilization, his stability, and just his overall ability to play the running back position. After Christian McCaffrey, that's where we get into... I feel like it's a little debate between the next three. I, in my rankings, saying this is half-point PPR, so let's lay that out here right now, Saquon Barkley. Now, Saquon Barkley is an absolute stud, and he had a down year. It was a bad sophomore campaign in Pat Shermer's inside zone heavy system where the offensive line was never cohesive. He had 217 carries despite missing those games. I expect that to go up if he stays healthy, obviously. I expect his pass game utilization to go up. I expect Jason Garrett, who didn't necessarily do this with Ezekiel Elliott, but I expect him to utilize Saquon Barkley more in the passing game, especially because the Giants' defense is so bad. We may be seeing a lot of dump-offs in the fourth quarter. We may be seeing the team playing competitively all four quarters, and I think this could really lend Saquon Barkley to just ascend and kind of really establish himself as this dominant fantasy option in this upcoming season. A lot more people were down, are down on him going in because he kind of burned a lot of people last year, but that was just the circumstances. A lot of people are really tracking on Saquon Barkley. His ADP is right around two and three, depending on where you are looking. According to Yahoo, he is the second overall drafted player according to average draft position. Ezekiel Elliott is after him, and he's my second overall player as well, especially in terms of running back, but 
Again, in these drafts, target your running backs. There's a lot of solid running backs in this year's draft, so you want to target these running backs. And you can get a Michael Thomas a little bit later. I feel like you can get guys like Robert Woods later on in your drafts in the fourth round and stuff like that. So I would load up on your running backs early. And if you want to go for a tight end and say the two or the one-two turn or the two-three turn, if you're that lucky, depending on how many people are in your leagues, go out after someone like Travis Kelsey. But we'll get that. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but definitely Saquon Barkley would be my number two, followed by Ezekiel Elliott, who is an incredibly talented running back in his own right. He's a model of consistency when it comes to fantasy football. People were talking down on him last year. I'm not sure why, because he gets all the opportunity. He had over 300 carries. He's only one of two running backs that had over 300 carries, along with Derrick Henry. And he's also had 54 receptions last year on 68 targets. He's being utilized a bit more in the passing game. I think Tony Pollard is going to come in and steal a little bit of value from him, but he's still an elite fantasy option. He is my number three running back. And in standard leagues, I would even probably put him over someone like Saquon Barkley. But in this PPR, half-point PPR kind of format, I would take Barkley over him. But Ezekiel Elliott is an absolute stud as well. He gets all the... Red zone usage for the team. He led the league in red zone carries with 61 attempts, converting 11 to touchdowns. And inside the five, he had 18 attempts, converting 10 to touchdowns, which is a pretty solid effective rate right there. He didn't lead the league in that. The running back who led the league in that would be Dalvin Cook, followed closely by Christian McCaffrey. But you can't go wrong with Ezekiel Elliott. Do not overthink it. He would be my number three, followed very closely by Alvin Kamara, who is my number three if it's full point PPR because he catches so many passes but in standard leagues it would be Elliott. but number four Alvin Kamara comes right there I'm saying PPR leagues especially full point I'd probably take Alvin Kamara over Ezekiel Elliott depends on how you want to weigh the risk factor I think Ezekiel Elliott is more safe than Alvin Kamara but reportedly Kamara dealt with a lot of injuries last season forced him to miss multiple games and he was playing through the injuries but the guy still receives over 90 targets every season with Drew Brees who has a dying arm Drew Brees is just looking to dump the ball off to playmakers and Kamara is right there that's how he's utilized you can just lock it in that he's going to have over 90 targets this year probably over 80 receptions and he's probably going to do a lot better on the ground I'm expecting a much better bounce back season last year he only had six total touchdowns five rushing one receiving I expect the receiving touchdowns to go up I expect the rushing touchdowns to go up So I look at someone like Alvin Kamara, who makes so many players miss in space, coming off of an injured year. People are kind of sleeping on him. He's only 25 years old. I really expect him to kind of show everyone how good he really is because I do believe in his contact balance. I do believe in his vision. I do believe in his ability to make players miss in space. These are all things that Alvin Kamara has done at such a high level for a long time, and he wasn't really able to showcase it last year. And Yes, he had 42 averted tackles last year, which ranked in the top 15, but I think he can do a lot better than that if he is fully healthy. Alvin Kamara is also a player who is utilized in the red zone despite his slight slighter frame I guess you can say Latavius Murray will also vulture some of his touchdowns which brings him down a little bit for me and like really really short yarded situations but Alvin Kamara is somebody that I would take if I had the fourth overall pick in fantasy drafts if it was a full point PPR I'd probably take him third over someone like Ezekiel Elliott so that's definitely something and then in my fifth pick it's a little bit out there but He skyrocketed up boards, especially after Damian Williams opted out of the season, and that's Clyde Edwards-Alaire. We don't have any previous stats to go off of from 2019, but what we do have is his LSU tape, and I studied him coming out of LSU and was not shocked that he was a first-round pick because he was so heavily utilized in the passing game. I thought he was solid as a pass protector in college, but 
there's going to be a real big difference between pass protecting in college and pass protecting in the NFL. So I look at Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He's on such a high-powered offense. It's going to be more than likely the highest-scoring team in football again in 2020, and that's going to result to red zone opportunities. It's going to result to inside five carries, and he's basically pitcher what Damian Williams did last year, who was a really effective running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, and he had LaShawn McCoy kind of vulturing off of him a little bit, and I expect Clyde Edwards-Alaire to just do that, only much better, and I expect him to get much better as the year progresses, and to me, he's a top five fantasy option this season. I know he's a rookie. I know there's some risk carried with that, but the Chiefs drafted him in the first round. They want to employ his skill set, and he's going to just be a recipient of a lot of targets, a lot of dump-offs, and have so much opportunity in such a high-powered offense where defenses are not going to be able to key in on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. They're going to have to worry about Tyreek Hill. They're going to have to worry about Travis Kelsey. They're going to have to worry about the speed of someone like Nicole Hardman. So I look at Clyde Edwards-Alaire there, and I think he's just a little bit safer than the next person I'm going to talk about, and which would come in at six for me, which is Dalvin Cook. And I like Dalvin Cook. I think Dalvin Cook, uh, he rode me to the championship last year before he got hurt in a couple of my leagues. But I think that shoulder injury carries a little bit of concern. He's entering a contract season. Him and the Vikings just cut off all their conversations about his new contract. So this could be his final year in Minnesota. I believe in the skill set of Alexander Madison, who may be implemented more so now that he's in his second season. You also have Kevin Stefanski leaving. You still have Gary Kubiak. But I expect Alvin Cook to still get a lot of carries inside the five. Again, he had 21 of those inside the five-yard line, which is excellent for fantasy football. He converted nine of them into touchdowns. He was targeted over 60 times, had 53 receptions as well. So he has a really good utilization in a pretty solid offense, an offense that's built around the outside zone and the inside zone and running the football. And I think he's a really talented running back, somebody who can help win you your league. But he's dealt with injuries his entire career. He really burned a lot of people last year when he ended up suffering that injury too. So that's why I have Clyde Edwards Alaire above him at six, but I still feel like someone like Dalvin Cook is somebody you should feel safe drafting in the middle of the first round and be like, okay, I got my running back one. He's a really solid running back one. Now the next person I have in here is a variance kind of pick for me. He comes in at seven and that is Derrick Henry. Now Derrick Henry, if everything is going right, he's going to help win you fantasy championships. There's no doubt about it. But he needs those things to go right. He needs his defense to hold on to leads and not allow opposing offenses to blow them out because he's game script dependent. What I mean by game script dependent is the Titans are going into the fourth quarter down by 14, down by 17. They're not going to rely on Derrick Henry in that rushing attack as much. They're going to need to pass the ball. They're going to need to go more up tempo. And I think Darrington Evans, a rookie running back who we'll talk about I'm sure sometime throughout this season will be on the field as that third down back because Henry has never had over 18 receptions. Last year was his first time ever having 18 receptions. He's never had more than that. He's never had more than 20 receptions in a season. His pass game utilization is not there. And that carries concern for me in the first round. You also lose Jack Conklin, the Titans. He goes and he signs with the Browns. You draft a kid out of Georgia who I'm a little skeptical on, but he's a big body and he's strong at the point of attack. But there's a little bit more concern with Derrick Henry, but I still have him coming in at seven for me. Because if you look at what Mike Vrabel wants to do, what that defense is capable of doing, they're going to run the football. He's going to get the carries. He had over 300 carries last year, and I expect him to get around that if things go right for the Titans. And if you trust in Ryan Tannehill to run this offense, because I do think Tannehill's success is also driven to Derrick Henry's success. 
because Tannehill, he was uber efficient in the red zone last year. And I look at someone like Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry was somebody who received 11 carries within the five-yard line, converted seven of them to touchdowns. That's gigantic. He had 45 carries in the red zone, concerted 13 of them to touchdowns. And I think Derrick Henry is just a really good football player, a really big, really strong football player, a football player that defenders do not really want to tackle in the fourth quarter. And I think he'll be on the field a lot. The Titans are playing well. The Titans play in the AFC South. So again, that means they're playing the AFC North and the NFC North this year in terms of their schedules. And I know there's a lot of turnover when it comes to schedules year by year, but you still want to be cognizant of what their schedule may look like. Again, he's sort of a higher variance kind of player for me, but if the Titans are on, then you're going to get another steal there, and he could also help you win that championship because he's an absolute stud. Coming in at number eight for me would be Josh Jacobs, and then nine would be Miles Sanders. And I know Miles Sanders just suffered that injury uh, this past week, and I want to kind of let wait and see and evaluate if he's going to be ready for week one before I kind of knock him down. If he's not going to be, then he will get knocked down a peg. But I do feel like Miles Sanders is in for an absolute breakout this year because he's a complete stud. But on to Josh Jacobs, who I have higher than, a little bit higher than him. John Gruden seems to just gush about Josh Jacobs and wants to get him a little bit more involved in the receiving game. I hope that is going to be the case for someone like Josh Jacobs. But I still feel like he's an absolute stud who is slipping to like the end of the first round early in the second round it kind of seems like that's where his ADP is he's somebody who was an absolute monster when it comes to forcing missed tackles he forced 69 missed tackles last season had 242 carries only had those 26 targets which I feel like is going to go up let's hope that it does had over a thousand yards rushing had seven rushing touchdowns last season within the five yard line he received 12 carries which I feel like is a solid number hopefully that can go up as well I like their offensive line they added a bunch of playmakers on the outside which hopefully could result in less loaded boxes for someone like Josh Jacobs let's hope Derek Carr can finally kind of stretch the field a little bit with people like Henry Ruggs I'm not too confident about that that gives me a little bit of pause but when I look at Josh Jacobs he's somebody that I'm very happy to come away with if I sit there on that one-two turn, which is a little bit before his ADP because Josh Jacobs' ADP right now is around 17. And if you play in a 12-team league, you're taking him a little bit before ADP. But if you believe in a player, you could do that in those situations. You know, you use ADP as a guideline. doesn't mean you have to, de- you can't deviate from it at all. So I do like Josh Jacobs there. And as for Miles Sanders, I think he has breakout written all over him. I have him coming in at nine. It's just... I'm a little concerned about this leg injury. Some of the other nagging injuries he's had in his early career gives you a little bit of pause. Obviously, Doug Peterson, with the way he has employed his running backs in the past, is something that can also give you a little bit of pause, but it seems like they really hitched their wagon to Miles Sanders. They spent a second-round pick on him. They've gushed about him, and they talked about him, and they gave him usage in the red zone as well. They use him all the time in terms of in the passing attack. So I, I look at him and I, I think I'm very confident in also drafting him depending on what that lower leg injury is and how healthy he is leading up to draft. So you're kind of, if you're drafting tomorrow, you're in a little bit of a tough place because you were not really 100% sure. It hasn't even come out what it is. It just says a lower leg injury. It's like, what the hell is it? It's hockey. Like what's going on right now? But guy had 50 catches, had a lot more utilization down the stretch of the season. 62 targets, only 178 carries. That's going to go up to around at least like 240 or something like that if he is healthy so I expect the stats just to kind of blow up this season I think he can really be that second year player that helps you win your league so I really do like Miles Sanders as well after Sanders 
This is uh, after Sanders. I'd say it's a uh, little bit of a drop off for me. Now I like these running backs a lot. I'm kind of going to fly through them because we don't have all that much time, and we have to get to the tight ends as well. But after Sanders, I have Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, Kenyon Drake, and Austin Eckler in their own tier. So if I had to break these tiers down, it'd be Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, and Alvin Kamara in my first tier. Then Clyde Edwards-Helaire, Dalvin Cook. Derek Henry, Josh Jacobs, and Miles Sanders in my second tier. My third tier is Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, Kenyon Drake, and Austin Eckler. So, on a Nick Chubb, obvious things that kind of give you a little bit of concern about Nick Chubb is the fact that there is Kareem Hunt in his offense. But I think people are kind of forgetting how good he was last year. He had just under 15 yards on 298 carries rushing. He had a total of 334 touches. He's not utilized that much in the receiving game. But he did have 36, 36 catches. I'm not really 100% sure if that's going to go up or down. If I'm a betting man, I might say it goes down because I think Kareem Hunt will be utilized and he's not going to be suspended for eight games in, in that fashion a little bit more than Nick Chubb. And Nick Chubb does have some injury concerns dating back to college. He's in the concussion protocol as we speak. Not too worried about the concussion protocol thing. But he has been injured before, and that really leads me to believe Kareem Hunt is an excellent pick a little bit later if you can get him in like the sixth or seventh round. But Nick Chubb, he had 16 carries within the five-yard line. 16. He only converted three of them. His offensive line has significantly improved. They brought in Jack Conklin, who thrived with Derrick Henry. They drafted Jedrick Wills out of Alabama. So I do like Nick Chubb. I do think both him and Kareem Hunt can have fantasy value. Chubb is a better talent to me. Chubb is one of the best inside rushers within the A and the B gap. He had 51 carries in the red zone last year. And they bring in Kevin Stefanski, who thrived with Dalvin Cook last year. Kevin Stefanski is going to be their head coach, but he's going to employ that scheme where they're going to want to run the football. They're going to want to run the football to open up the play action and to kind of protect Baker Mayfield, who had a really, really bad sophomore season last year. So Nick Chubb, I am comfortable with. He's top of my tier three sitting there. Then Joe Mixon is right behind him. Joe Mixon finished the year as a stud last season. But before that, he sank your fantasy team. He was receiving barely any work in some instances. But Joe Mixon was playing incredibly well down the stretch when Zach Taylor was giving him the was giving him the bulk of the carries. He had 894 yards rushing from week 10 to week 17. Five touchdowns in that time frame. Was utilized pretty well in the passing game too, despite the fact that Giovanni Bernard was there. Had 14 carries within the five-yard line, 32 in the red zone. That's all from week 10 to week 17. I don't know why it took Zach Taylor so long to utilize him, but it did. But I like Joe, I like Joe Mixon. I think he could be in for that breakout season in a, in a better offense, but I have all my reservations about him. That's why he's down here in my third tier because I'm not 100% sure how Zach Taylor is going to utilize him. I mean, PFF last year, I mean, the run blocking on that offensive line was so bad, but they get Jonah Williams back, who was their first round pick last season, who suffered an injury and didn't play at all, which is going to be huge for Mixon, which is going to be huge for that rushing attack. And we got Joe Burrow coming in, so the offense should be better. The defense is probably still not going to be that great, so there could be a lot of competitive games, which means maybe less carries in the fourth quarter, but if the team decides to use Joe Mixon in a more receiving role, even though Giovanni Bernard is still there, then he may be able to have more value in a PPR league. But he has top five fantasy potential. He does, but there are those reservations that you need to pay attention to as well, so that's why we're kind of keeping him a little bit down. After Joe Mixon, I have Kenyon Drake and then Austin Eckler to round out this tier. Now, Kenyon Drake thrived when he went over to Cliff Kingsbury's 
offense last year. A lot of 10 personnel, a lot of one running back. That means there's a lot of limited boxes. That means there's light man boxes, and that means Kenyon Drake can be given the ball. He's an incredibly explosive player who was underutilized down there in Miami. I like Kenyon Drake, but Chase Edmonds, that's somebody I'm targeting late in drafts because Chase Edmonds is a very talented running back too, and that's the backup to Kenyon Drake. So I'm not 100% sure on his longevity throughout a fantasy season or how that split is going to work. So I can see Chase Edmonds eating into the workload of Kenyon Drake. That's why Kenyon Drake gives me a little bit of pause. But once he went over to Cliff Kingsbury's team last season, he was able to really show how good he really is. The kind of like a proved everybody right all the people who are truthers of him coming out of Alabama if you owned him last season you love the Drake you know you loved him you did not hate the Drake last season but maybe this season you may end up hating the Drake but once he went over to Arizona Cliff Kingsbury gave him the ball had eight carries inside the five six he converted to touchdowns 18 in the red zone seven he converted the touchdowns and he was utilized in the passing game there's no more David Johnson who they gave the ball to sparingly last year it just did not work out he never really was able to thrive in that system so I like Kenyon Drake but I as I said with some of these other guys there are some question marks surrounding these guys and how they're going to be employed this year and Chase Edmonds is definitely somebody you want to target late in drafts after that is Austin Eckler who I feel like there's so much opportunity that has just opened up in that Los Angeles Chargers backfield because Melvin Gordon went to the Denver Broncos Austin Eckler very talented running back somebody who was used a lot in the passing game so I like Austin Eckler I do feel like Joshua Kelly somebody to target with like your last pick in the draft because no one's talking about him he's a rookie at a UCLA very talented running back remember that name I think Justin Jackson will also receive a lot of uh, work early on in the season as well but Austin Eckler had over 100 targets last year. I expect him to be around that maybe, probably a little bit less now though because you do have Tyrod Taylor. It's a little bit of a projection because we don't know how this offense is going to work because Phillip Rivers loved checking down. I'm not sure how Tyrod Taylor is going to operate as a quarterback in this system or when Justin Herbert does end up taking over. So Austin Eckler usually has around 90 targets somewhere around there. Had 104 last year. It might drop off a little bit, but he had 92 receptions and he's really, really dynamic in space. I think he's somebody who a lot of people got later on in the draft last year. In the sixth round, they got Austin Eckler and he ended up paying huge dividends for them. And I don't see him being somebody who's going to get 250 carries. That's why he's down a little bit. I think he has a lot more value in a full point PPR kind of league, but he's somebody that you should be aware of. But you have to weigh, like, just because these rankings are in a certain way or row doesn't mean that you stick to that but again this is half point PPR that we're kind of going to but there are other players that have more boom potential who could skyrocket up boards guys like Joe Mixon guys like players I'm about to go over that could really kind of help win you a fantasy championship Austin Eckler might be a little bit more safer in those full point PPR leagues so just keep that in mind after that in my next tier I have Aaron Jones who was hyper efficient last year and efficiency tends to wane when it comes to fantasy football but Aaron Jones was very, very efficient last season for the Green Bay Packers, received a ton of work in the red zone, scored 10 touchdowns within the five-yard line on a 17 carries, had 34 attempts in the red zone, and had 14 total touchdowns on those carries as well. And we know now with Matt LaFleur in there, head coach for the Green Bay Packers, they want to run the football more, but they drafted A.J. Dillon in the second round out of Boston College, who is Quad City. Him and Saquon Barkley are on the quad boat together. They have gigantic quads. So I think a lot of people are giving Aaron Jones a little bit of pause for that. For me, 
It's more of an efficiency thing. I don't know if he's going to score a touch, as many touchdowns as he did last season because he was so hyper-efficient in that area. I expect that to come down just a little bit. I still think he's a solid. Uh, I, you could say running back one. If you end up getting him as a running back one, I wouldn't fret about that whatsoever. But I do feel like A.J. Dillon's going to take some of those short yardage uh, opportunities away from him. And I don't believe he's going to be as efficient with his touchdown per touch rate that he kind of was last year i mean last year he had 235 carries he ended up scoring 19 total touchdowns which is kind of crazy on 285 touches and the 235 carries is what he had he had the 67 targets 50 catches so he's utilized in a lot of facets i don't expect i expect it to come down a little bit with aj Dillon. they still have jamal williams there too so those are kind of um things that give me a little pause about aaron jones and that's why he's down in my rankings because i see a lot of other people's rankings where he's a much higher player and it's not like I'm super down on him I think he's going to be a solid beginning to mid second round pick he's going to return value for you but I just don't think he's going to score 19 touchdowns again I think that's a little bit unreasonable but after that in this tier we got James Conner and Chris Carson so James Conner and Chris Carson both players who have dealt with injuries James Conner let so many people down last year but I expect with the Ben Roethlisberger it's gonna be a much better offense if I'm a betting man will be a much better offense than it was with Mason Rudolph. So I think James Conner coming in here, and I think he's just going to kind of revert back to his 2018 form where he helped win people fantasy leagues because Le'Veon Bell held out and people got him so late in drafts, and he was just really, really a good player in all facets. We know that Mike Tomlin likes to utilize his running backs in a less committee fashion. He likes to kind of put the main guy out there and rely on them if they're capable, and I think that James Conner is a capable running back in that light. So I think he's prime for a bounce back season and he's somebody that i'm targeting especially if he's available in the third rounds i think that can be an absolute steal chris carson similar now chris carson has dealt with injuries as well their offensive line isn't the best but this is a team under brian schottenheimer under Pete carroll who want to run the football and they predicate themselves on running the football and i don't think rashad penny he's still dealing with his injury that he suffered last year so i look at chris carson and i say he's somebody's going to receive a bulk of the workload in a running offense led by russell wilson who's dangerous and every team is scared of someone like russell wilson so i think that his carries will probably come down a little bit he had 278 last year he had 44 targets i expect that to be around the same probably but if he falls in the end zone a couple more times, gets in the double digits, that's going to be absolutely huge. And you can have him late in the third round if he could stay healthy. And that's the biggest risk for him is if he could stay healthy. He's only 26 years old. He saw the most targets that he's ever seen last season. And I think that his touches might come down a little bit, but I still feel like he's going to be utilizing a run-heavy offense led by one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So that's why he falls into this tier. And then I'll just talk about the next tier real quick before we move into tight ends. I have in the next tier, and this tier I'm a little bit skeptical on, okay? Jonathan Taylor, to me, it's a bit of a projection because he's a rookie, but I do like my, me some Jonathan Taylor. I believe in his skill set. I believe in how uh, he's kind of a Superman out there, the way that he looks. I believe in his movement skills, and I believe in that offense with Phillip Rivers, who's going to dump the ball off a lot, and that offensive line, which is one of the best offensive lines in the league. My problems with him is that Marlon Mack's still there, and Naheem Hines is still there. So that's why he kind of falls into this group as well. But this group consists of Jonathan Taylor, David Johnson, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, Melvin Gordon, and Raheem Mostert. So that's kind of that next chunk of players. 
Gurley, you have the knee injury. I think he's going to be used like Devonta Freeman was last year. They like to use the running backs in the red zone, but I just... I'm just not 100% sure how much work they're going to give him. As for David Johnson, you know that Bill O'Brien is going to want to showcase David Johnson, but he did not look great with the Cardinals last season, so I have some trepidation about him. Le'Veon Bell, I don't know what Adam Gase is doing with the employment of this player, but he shed weight, and he's somebody that I hope can kind of break out and show what he used to be in Pittsburgh, but it's a totally different offense with a bad offensive line and a young quarterback, so it's something that that's kind of why he's fallen. I like his talent. Coming out of Michigan State, I loved his talent when he was with Pittsburgh, but some pause. Melvin Gordon, I think he's somebody that can be interesting. Now, he has Mike Munchak as his offensive line coach, not Hal Hunter. So hopefully that inside zone can have a little bit more of a effectiveness than it did with the New York Giants since Pat Shermer is the offensive coordinator there. But I think Melvin Gordon is somebody that is going to have to split time with Philip Lindsay, but he's somebody whose carries are going to come down. I mean, last year he didn't play the whole season, but if he were to, his carries were to come down, but I still feel like he's somebody that you can get a little bit later. If you go that zero RB strategy, which I do not advise this year, I do not advise going zero RB, these are the kind of guys you're looking at, and they all have question marks to me. And then the Raheem Mostert, who just got paid this offseason, which I feel like is good for him because he may only see 13 carries, 14 carries in a game. He's hyper-efficient with it, which gives me pause, but I do think feel like Tevin Coleman and maybe even Jarek McKinnon may be utilized too. You know Kyle Shanahan doesn't like to establish trends, so that's something that it's a little concerning for me. And then you have Mark Ingram too, Ronald Jones, two players that I actually like to target in the fourth, fifth, wherever you can get them rounds. I think those are two players that are, are could be utilized, that are slide, well, Ronald Jones is kind of going up boards, boards, to be honest, so he might be skyrocketing a little bit too far in terms of his ADP, but Mark Ingram has kind of stayed put because they drafted J.K. Dobbins, but everything worked with Mark Ingram last year. I don't really see Baltimore deviating from what worked because he was used in the passing game when you roll out Lamar Jackson and you just see Mark Ingram sitting there, but you're a defensive back. You don't know what to do. Do you go and attack the fastest player in football or do you cover the guy in the flat? It really puts defenders into really tough spots. I think Mark Ingram will be a payoff value if you can get him in the fifth round. So before we move on to tight ends real quick, let's just hear a word from our sponsors. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, tight ends. So tight ends are really, really interesting. So to me, there are two huge tight ends everybody talks about, and that's 
Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. And that's how I have them ranked. A lot of people have Kittle over Kelsey. Me, I think Kelsey is safer. For the last five years, he's had over 1,000 yards, had 10 touchdowns in 2018. Didn't have that mark last year, but you can't go wrong with a player like Travis Kelsey, in my opinion. He's on the best offense with the best quarterback. He's going to be utilized in a huge fashion. Teams can't focus on him because they have Tyreek Hill. Now they have Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So I look at Travis Kelsey, and he's somebody that I really, really like. Three straight seasons with over 1,000 yards. Had 551 routes run, 130 targets last year, 97 catches, which you never seem to see from tight ends. But he had 97 catches last year, over 1,200 yards. 400 yards after the catch. So I can gush about Travis Kelsey to me. I know he's getting a little bit older, but he's my number one tight end, mainly because he's safer. Just a bit safer than George Kittle, who I feel like can be a league winner. Now, I don't usually target tight ends early, but if you're picking on that one-two turn and in a 12-team league and all those running backs are available and you're sitting there and you got to sift through guys like Kenyon Drake and Austin Eckler as your players... And there's a lot of receivers you can get later. So say Michael Thomas is gone at that point and you're not really sure about Devontae Adams. You could load up and get a significant edge by drafting a tight end. That's something that that's a strategy that people utilize. It's a strategy that is smart. And I think this year you have these two tight ends that you could do that on. For me, it's Travis Kelsey is the safer one. But you, I can't knock somebody for going George Kittle. I can't. Now, he runs significant less routes than George Kittle. But he still makes a lot of those routes because he his yards last year yards per route run he had 3.12 which ranked first among all the tight ends so when he is running routes he's targeted a lot now Kittle my, my issues with him well I guess issues I'll use loosely why I have Travis Kelsey more than him is the offense and the defense I think the Chiefs defense came on really strong with Spags later in the year. I'm not sure if that's going to be the same this season, but the 49ers defense is studly, and they want to run the football, they want to control the clock, and they just want to dominate you. So I feel like it's more conducive that Travis Kelsey may have a bit more opportunities to succeed. Now, he had a lot more targets, Kelsey, than than Kittle. He had 130, but Kittle still had over 100 targets. He's going to be targeted a lot. So I, I can't knock someone for wanting to go Kittle. He's just a little bit more efficient and... I think his defense is a little bit more better, which means he might not be receiving a lot of uh, targets in the fourth quarter, which is something that gives me a little pause. And also he's utilized so much as a blocker because he's so good at blocking, which I feel like leaves you to be a bit more susceptible to injuries. I'm not knocking anybody who wants to draft George Kittle. I'm just justifying why I have Travis Kelsey slightly above him, despite the fact that George Kittle is an absolute beast. Had 621 yards after the catch, over 1,000 receiving yards, 85 receptions, 106 targets. Hyper-efficient. But for me, it's Kelsey, then Kittle. Can't go wrong with either. If you do draft one of these two tight ends there, you have a significant edge at that tight end spot over everybody in your league because these guys are absolute studs. But after that, I have Zach Ertz. Now, Zach Ertz is going to be the number one target in an offense that does like to throw the football. I mean, he had 543 routes run last year, 128 targets, 88 catches, which is an insane number for a tight end. And just under 1,000 receiving yards. Had the six receiving touchdowns. He's Carson Wentz's best friend out there. He always looks for him. His A dot last year, that's average depth of target, is 8.9 yards. It's ranked outside the top 15, but he's utilized a lot. So in PPR leagues, might be a little bit higher if you want him there. But he's still my number three tight end. I think he's somebody that can help secure you. But he's going at a, a place in the draft that 
gives me a little bit of pause just because I think there's going to be a lot of receivers that I'm going to want to target in that same area. Zach Ertz usually goes around 40, so you're talking about the end of the third round. I'm not huge on selecting the tight end there because if you miss on Kelsey Kittle, I might wait to get someone like Tyler Higby or Evan Ingram much later than spending up on someone like Zach Ertz. But for what it's worth, he's still my number three, followed closely by Mark Andrews, who broke out last year. And you want to talk about efficiency, it was him. <laughs> he had 295 routes run last year, but he had 10 touchdowns. So he was scoring at a pretty high rate last year. And I don't think Lamar Jackson's going to throw for 35-plus touchdowns again. I'd be, I wouldn't say I'm, I would be shocked because he's an uber-talented player. But every time Mark Andrews was out there because they had to limit his snaps, I think he's a type 1 diabetic, so he's not out there too much. So the limited snaps give me a little bit of hesitation. The fact that he doesn't run a ton of routes uh, in comparison to some of these other tight ends gives me a little bit of hesitations. But he's still somebody who is targeted so much when he is out there. And he's on an offense that likes to run 12 personnel, sometimes 13 personnel. They love to use Hayden Hurst. Now he's not there. He goes to Atlanta. So I think that someone like Mark Andrews, who last year you got in like the 10th, 11th, 12th round, I'm not 100% sure if I want to spend up and spend a third round, early third round pick on Mark Andrews. I probably won't be doing that. Again, I'd probably be waiting for some of those later options. He comes in at four, though, and he should be a solid option. But there's still, man, you're not 100% sure how long he's going to be out there. His snap share was is limited, so you really rely on every time that he is out there getting the opportunity for him to thrive and for him to come through. So that's a little bit of a pause. I think it's a little bit too rich for me, but I wouldn't knock somebody for drafting someone like Mark Andrews. He's a young player. He's an athletic player who is Lamar Jackson's favorite target, which <laughs> there's something to be said for that. And then we have Darren Waller, who broke out last year, had 474 routes run, 115 targets, and a 90 receptions on that. And I don't feel like he'll have just under 1,200 yards again, but I feel like there's going to be touchdown, positive touchdown regression for this player. He only had three receiving touchdowns last year, and they added all these players to this offense. I still feel like that touchdown rate can come up, which is going to skyrocket his value as well. With Darren Waller right now, he's going around the fifth round or late fourth round, and that's a little bit too rich for me as well. Again, if I'm not, if I'm spending up, because I feel like there's going to be a lot of receivers there. If I'm spending up for tight ends, I'm going to get Kelsey or Kittle. Um, I don't really feel overly comfortable drafting someone like Mark Andrews, Zach Ertz, or Darren Waller if I have receivers like Robert Woods or Chris Godwin on the board. And I don't know if Godwin would be around that late. He should not be around that late. He should be a second or early third round pick. Depends on your league that you're in. Darren Waller is still somebody that a huge body, an athletic freak going to be utilized a lot. Derek Carr likes to check down. Hopefully that benefits Josh Jacobs. Hopefully that benefits someone like Darren Waller. Definitely did last year. And I know they added Jason Witten. They still have Foster Moreau on that roster. They kind of have a lot of tight end options, which kind of give me a little bit of hesitation. I know I've said a lot of hesitation and pause in this podcast, just trying to give you guys a little bit of context on these players. Darren Waller is still going to be a really good tight end this year. If you want to spend up on that tight end position, there it is. But for me, Probably going to wait a little bit if I do not spend up on the big guys for a tight end like this. And that tight end is Evan Ingram. Now, Evan Ingram, he's being drafted around pick 78. And if I can get Evan Ingram at that area, I'm going to be really happy. I feel like he can thrive in this Jason Garrett offense. And he had an injury-shortened season, only played in eight weeks last year because of the MCL injury. He had a foot injury as well. 
So there was a lot of just banged upness with Evan Ingram, which is kind of the story of Evan Ingram. As Giants fans know, he has always been injured. But Pat Shermer had him blocking a lot, which is fine. You're a tight end. That's what you're supposed to do. But Pat Shermer did not use him in a vertical fashion, which is something that does kind of piss me off a little bit because Evan Ingram has the speed of a wide receiver with the body of a tight end. So I think in this offense, he can really thrive with Daniel Jones in his second season. And Evan Ingram, his fifth-year option was picked up. I expect a lot more production out of him. And I know a lot of people have said that. A lot of people have been burned. But I'm excited for the Evan Ingram breakout that I feel like could happen. And if you can get him in the seventh round, then that's a home run for me. After that is Tyler Higby, who absolutely blew up at the end of the season. The Rams ran a lot of 11 personnel. They switched the 12 personnel, and Higby went on an unforeseen run of domination, of just recording over 100 yards, and I think it was like four straight games or something like that, averaging double-digit targets and was just really kind of helping the Rams earn some victories and get some respect after just having a poor 2019 campaign. And I know Gerald Everett's still there, but I still feel like it's Higby's job to lose in this season, and he's going to be that number one tight end. And I think Jared Goff, with a poor offensive line, Tyler Higby can also help with blocking, chip, and release, things like that. I think he's going to be a, a, a good player that can be had a little bit later on in drafts. He's somebody I'm excited about. I mean, he's a gigantic dude. A lot of people are calling him Baby Gronk. He kind of has those those kind of size and measurable kind of traits to him. And last year, he didn't have that much workload. He was really used at the end of the season. He only had 62 targets, 43 catches, 9 touchdowns, though. I think a lot of that is going to go up, and this could be his breakout year, too, even though he kind of already showed a little bit of it last year. So I don't know if he'll be averaging double-digit targets like he was during that stretch last season in 2019, but I do feel like he's going to be a solid player, and he's somebody that you should definitely be looking to draft. After Higby, I have Mike Gesicki, who I feel like is going to dominate that slot role for the Miami Dolphins now that Albert Wilson has opted out of the season, and Ryan Fitzpatrick's playing. He's going to start the season. Ryan Fitzpatrick like targeted him. He's another player that finished strong down the stretch. He didn't convert it to as many fantasy points as Tyler Higby, but I still like what I saw from Gesicki. He ranked third in dot, average depth of target, ran over 521 routes last year, was targeted 80 times, only had the 51 catches. I expect that to go up. Now, he's not going to make a lot of people miss in space. It's not really his game, but he's gigantic. Big catch radius. Used in the slot is a mismatch nightmare against slot corners like Grant Haley and players like that. So I think he's somebody that uh, to pay attention to for sure. Later on in the drafts, he's not being drafted super early. You can get him a lot later. You can get him probably like the 11th, 12th round, and I think that's a solid place. Again, there's a lot of variance. You could have to stream tight ends if it doesn't end up working out with someone like him, but I feel good about his future, if I'm being honest. And after Gesicki, I have Hunter Henry for the Chargers. It's going to be a projection, so we don't know how he's going to be utilized with Tyrod Taylor, but he's a skilled player who was used a lot in the short areas just can he stay healthy so that's a concern I have with him and then I have TJ Hawkinson and I just heard that he's still recovering from a lower body injury which gives me some pause but if it does not if it heals up before week one I think he's in for a breakout season because I believe in his skill set and I believe that they want to utilize him they spent the top 10 pick on him I think he's a really good player and I think with Matt Stafford coming back he can definitely thrive after that I have Eric Ebron, Hayden Hurst, Jared Cook, and Gronk. I don't really know what to do with Gronk. 
okay? Because I think Gronk could play like 30% of the snaps or something like that, but only be out there on red zone. So you might just be, he might receive two targets a game, three targets a game, and hopefully you convert one for a touchdown. I'm all about opportunity in fantasy football. I'm all about targets. So it's something that definitely gives me some hesitation. I think OJ Howard is going to play the majority of snaps down there, follow closely by Cameron Brait, and then with Gronk kind of in a sub-package role, definitely in the red zone, which is the money the money zone for fantasy football, but it's uh, it might be a little bit too high variance for me. Eric Ebron, I don't feel like he's going to play every snap, but I feel like tight ends with Ben Roethlisberger, athletic tight ends, it's going to be something that he can own the kind of middle of the field. I think he's kind of, no one's really talking about him at the moment. He had that 13-touchdown season with the Colts, I'm not saying he's going to have that whatsoever, but I do feel like being paired with Ben Roethlisberger with this offensive line, it can kind of showcase his skill set. Obviously, without Antonio Brown, there's kind of a lack of skilled players on the outside. I think he can kind of add to that, help dominate the middle of the field with Juju Smith-Schuster. Then you have Deontay Thompson, Chase Claypool on the outside, along with James Washington, if he can ever break out too. So I have Eric Ebron there. Hayden Hurst is entering a place where the Falcons love to throw it in the middle of the field. I think Calvin Ridley will be the main beneficiary of no Austin Hooper being there since Austin Hooper signed with the Browns. But I still think Hayden Hurst, who's a talented player, never really got to show his talent because Mark Andrews dominated down there, over there in Baltimore. The Falcons went out. They traded a solid pick for Hayden Hurst. It was a second and a fifth round pick. So think about that real quick. They obviously believe in him. They want to utilize him. They traded Mohamed Sanu last season, so they get this other player who can kind of own the middle of the field and operate in the short to intermediate areas. I think we could see Hayden Hurst's production definitely go up a lot this season in this new offense where they definitely like to target the tight end. You can ask Austin Hooper about that. Then there's Jared Cook, who was hyper-efficient last year in terms of touchdown. I believe that's going to come down. You got the the Saints got Emmanuel Sanders, who's going to also command more targets. I think Michael Thomas is safe. It's not going to affect him. It's going to affect Jared Cook. I do not expect nine touchdowns, again, from Jared Cook. I don't think that's going to happen. And he just converted a lot of those situations with the Saints. The last season, I know it's with the Saints, but it was somewhat of an anomaly for him. He hasn't been this efficient before. So I, I don't expect that hyper-efficiency. I don't expect the high touchdown mark with all these other options, you're going to have a healthy Alvin Kamara. So that's why I kind of have him down. Definitely think you can get him later in drafts, but his ADP right now is just a little bit too high for me at 79, which is before Mike Kosicki, which is before Hayden Hurst, which is before TJ Hawkinson. It's just after Evan Ingram. So I, that's something that I'm a little bit skeptical on, to be honest. So just to throw that one out there. And then after Jared Cook, I look at Noah Fant, Blake Jarwin, Chris Herndon, Austin Hooper, Ian Thomas, Jack Doyle, and Jonu Smith. Now, these are all late-round targets. I think Noah Fant has a lot of high upside. I don't really believe in how Pat Shermer utilizes a tight end. And I do look at that roster. You have so many mouths to feed with KJ Hamler, with Jerry Judy, with Cortland Sutton, with the running backs. Gives me some pause, but he has that potential to be a top-five tight end if he was in a better situation with less mouths to feed. Blake Jarwin could be in for a breakout. And Kellen Moore's offense. There's no more Jason Witten. He's going to be the guy... Dak Prescott loves targeting the tight end position, and that's an underrated fact. And I think Blake Jarwin 
much more athletic than Jason Witten. He could be in for a place where he just breaks out. So that's somebody you could target late. I think Chris Herndon is definitely somebody to target late. There's not that many options over there. Denzel Mims is already dealing with injuries. Their second-round pick out of Baylor. They bring in Brashad Perriman. They have Jamison Crowder, who is a locked-in PPR receiver. Not an exciting one, but somebody who's going to see a lot of opportunity. And I think Chris Herndon, somebody the Jets have raved about, is definitely somebody they're going to line up in the slot to be a mismatch nightmare. Somebody they're going to line up in line as well. I think he's definitely somebody to get later on in drafts if you punt the position. If you do end up punting this position, which is a strategy you can utilize, but it's risky, I would draft somebody like Hayden Hurst and Blake, and Blake Jarwin or Chris Herndon and Blake Jarwin. I would draft two of these late-round tight ends and try to hit on them. Now, it could be risky depending on how many bench spots you have in your specific league. Because you know, sometimes you draft these tight ends, they end up getting you like two, three points if you're lucky. That's 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 terrible, obviously. But if you get somebody like Kelsey or Kittle, that's not going to happen, or even Ertz, because they're getting six, seven, eight targets a game, which is something that you're going to be looking for. I think Ian Thomas could be interesting. It's a new offense, but Ian Thomas, every time Greg Olson was not playing, ended up seemed like doing well. So he's a talented player, so watch out for him. Jack Doyle, nobody's talking about Jack Doyle. Not all that exciting. Does not have a lot of touchdown upside, but he's a PPR magnet. And we know Phillip Rivers, who's now the Colts quarterback, loves to target himself some tight ends. So do not write off Jack Doyle as a late-round pick either. Don't do that. I think he's somebody to watch. And Jonu Smith, a lot of people are talking about. I think Jonu Smith, I look at the Titans offense. Sometimes Ryan Tannehill only throws the ball like 20 times. I believe in Smith's talent, but... I don't believe in his opportunity because Johnny Smith's going to be the, what, the third receiving option on a low-throwing team. That's my concern. There could be weeks where he ends up scoring you two touchdowns, gets four catches for like 60 yards, and you're happy. But there's going to be weeks where he gets targeted like three times and may have a catch for eight yards. So I don't, I don't like to pay attention to the third receiving option on a low-throwing squad. No. I'll take the third receiving option on the Chiefs or a team that loves to air the football out but I'm not doing that on a team that wants to run the football. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. So those are my quick rankings on running backs and tight ends. I'll get quarterbacks and wide receivers next week, and we'll talk some sleepers, some busts, some breakouts, and things like that as well in the next coming episode. So thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Follow me on Twitter, at Nick Filato, and please have a lovely day, my friends. Take care now. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.